Welcome to Catalytic Leadership, the podcast designed to help leaders intentionally grow and thrive. Here is your host, author and leadership and executive coach, Dr. William Attaway. Hey, it's William, and welcome to today's episode of the Catalytic Leadership Podcast. Each week, we tackle a topic related to the field of leadership. My goal is to ensure that you have actionable steps you can take from each episode to grow in your own leadership. I believe, like Craig Rochelle has said many times, that when a leader gets better, everybody benefits. Your team, your department, your customers, your clients, your spouse, your kids, everybody. Each week, we spotlight leaders from a variety of fields, locations, and organizations. My goal is for you to see that leaders can be catalytic no matter where they are or what they lead. I draw inspiration from the stories and journeys of these leaders, and I hear from many of you that you do too. Let's jump in to today's interview. It is an honor today to have Jim Rafferty with us. Jim is the author of Leader by Accident. Lessons in Leadership, Loss, and Life. Leader by Accident recounts the tragedy that thrust Jim into a demanding volunteer role and how that experience fueled a subsequent journey into entrepreneurship. Jim's a marketing and communications consultant and principal of JMR Kidding, LLC in Baltimore, Maryland. A former radio announcer and program director, Jim now puts three decades of marketing experience to work in helping businesses communicate more effectively with their audiences. Incurably married and the father of two grown children, Jim spends his spare time singing wherever people will listen and sharing cringeworthy dad jokes on social media. Man, Jim, I can't wait for this conversation because I'm a big fan of dad jokes. So I'm expecting at least a handful during this talk. Oh, we'll get there. Thank you. Thank you. It's a a pleasure to be here. Thanks. I appreciate that. Jim, I would love for you to share some of your story with our listeners, particularly around your journey and your development as a leader. How did you get started? Sure. Leader leader by accident starts in 2008 when I very suddenly became scoutmaster of our son's Boy Scout troop when the, the scoutmaster and his wife and their two younger kids were all shot to death by their 15-year-old son. Oh, and that is yeah, uh, every bit as horrible as it sounds and and worse. And, you know, the, the Scoutmaster part, you know, may not sound like a big deal, but, you know, this is a, obviously a critical moment for the troop. We really didn't know if the organization would survive. And mm-hmm. at, at this moment, they turned to a guy, me, who you know, had been a Boy Scout for all of about two weeks as a kid. I really didn't like it. Um, I didn't have any outdoor skills to speak of in terms of camping, hiking, you know, the things you want your scoutmaster to know about. And I, I didn't have a position in the troop up to that point. So for me, this was a very unusual, you know, thing that they had asked me to step into this role. Mm-hmm. And with the help of a lot of other people and, and support, things went pretty well. And I, I remained scoutmaster for five years. And those were, you know, sort of life-changing for me in a couple of ways. One, in the sense of, you know, stepping into this leadership role and, and helping to shepherd the organization through through a really, really difficult stretch. But, you know, the other part of it, I think, was the quite literally getting out of my comfort zone with some of the camping and hiking adventures that we did, you know, backpacking trips to Yellowstone National Park for several days and to another trip, actually not a scouting trip. My, my wife and I and another couple hiked to the bottom of the Grand Canyon and 
against wow. all odds, hike, hike back out five days later, and, uh, a trip to the Florida Keys with the scouts and all these things. And all that in itself is a nice enough story and, and certainly has a leadership component to it. But I, I think where the rubber really meets the road in terms of the book is the way that prepared me for a few years later when I got shown the door at the at the job I'd held for almost 21 years at that point. And mm. I, you know, it had never crossed my mind to that point to do anything other than have a, you know, job and have somebody hand me a paycheck and be responsible for my benefits and all that stuff. And what happened instead was that I wound up hanging out my shingle as a marketing consultant and sort of stepping off the ledge and out of my comfort zone again into entrepreneurship. And that was 10 years ago, and it's been easily, I mean, hands down, the most successful, enjoyable, however you want to describe it, stretch of my professional life. And I, I have no doubt that the first step out of the comfort zone into that scoutmaster role and, and the experiences that that led to really made the second step out of my comfort zone into entrepreneurship possible. So th those two stories together really are, are the basis of Leader by Accident. No, that's fascinating because I don't think you anticipated from what you said either of those or could have anticipated either one of those. No, they were they were obviously, you know, the, the tragedy was was sudden and unexpected. You never know that anything like that is coming. And, you know, with with the job, I, I guess, in hindsight, the writing was on the wall. The company had changed hands about a year before and mm -hmm. but I did not see eye to eye with the new ownership. And, you know, I, I should have been better prepared for that. But in <laughs> in hindsight, I wasn't. But, uh, you know, it, it all turned out OK. And I'm a firm believer that that things happen for a reason and that things turn out for the best. And, and in, in both these, in both these cases, they did. Now, that's, that's so indicative of so many stories that it's the unexpected that makes such a huge impact in your journey, particularly around your leadership journey. In, in all of these different contexts, you've experienced leadership in different ways in a volunteer organization in business environment, now running your own, right? How would you define leadership? Well, there are so many definitions of leadership. They're they're all good. You know, one of my favorite quotes about it is uh, Eisenhower, and I, I won't get it word for word, but it's basically, you know, le leadership is the art of getting someone else to do something you want done because they want to do it. <laughs> you know, something to that effect. But you know, the more I write about and speak about and and have conversations like this around leadership, I. You know, I think it's changed a little bit or or maybe had the focus sh uh, shifted a little bit over these past few years with the pandemic and the great resignation and all that and has called for much greater levels of empathy. And, you know, ultimately what I come back to is if you want to be a better leader, be a better person. You know, mm. leadership is not something you do when you walk through the office doors and and something you turn off when you leave. It's about caring about the people around you all the time. And, you know, the, we, we are what we repeatedly do. And I think that, you know, that that for me is the key to being a good leader. And we could talk about any number of different components of that, but that, that's what it boils down to for me. Mm, that's good. So moving into a scoutmaster role, right, with, with no background really in this uh, on a personal level, and this not really being your sweet spot, you know, of just loving the outdoors and camping. And I'm with you there. I mean, you know, I like to to live indoors. That's that's my favorite thing. So sure. like this was out of your comfort zone. 
it was a lot and a, a couple things happened and and i think the in hindsight the way that i approached it is is maybe a good leader a good lesson for leaders thrown into any situation but you know the the first thing that happened was a few people who were far more qualified than i was offered to step up and serve as assistant scout masters and mm. you know they were people who just didn't have the the bandwidth at that moment to take on the scoutmaster job. So I I had a really good team around me to handle mm. the the nuts and bolts of the scouting program. And the other thing that happened was beyond those three guys and we we're still friends, we were a wonderful team together. Um beyond those three guys, I was very honest with both the the scouts and their parents about my own lack of experience. I did not try to hide from it. Mm. And among the very first things I did was an all hands email to the parents. And I said, look, if this is going to work, we need your help. You know, more mm. of you need to step up and do more things and take on more responsibilities. And you know what they did. Mm. And that was a really good lesson to, you know, a uh, not be afraid to admit that you don't know what you don't know and be not be afraid to ask for help because, you know, a year later, the troop was thriving. You know, we were, we were a little bigger in numbers. We had all the parents involved. Everything was, you know, we, we had one Saturday. I talk about it a little bit in the book where we did three different events as a troop. We had parents, you know, doing a in the uh, kitchen, cooking pancakes for a fundraiser for, you know, to raise money for a trip that their kids weren't going on, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. It would just, it was really a wonderful time and a wonderful example of, of everybody pitching in and helping. And I love the authenticity that you showed there and the transparency, because that's something that so often leaders don't do. You know, they pretend like they know all the answers, they've got it all together and, you know, don't let them see you sweat. You know, that, that old model of leadership that really never worked, if we're honest, but it kept getting passed down from generation to generation. And what you you led with authenticity and with transparency. And I think in on this side, particularly, like you said, on this side of the pandemic with, with the great resignation and things that people are struggling with, that's what people lean into. They see a leader that's authentic and transparent. They lean toward that person. Yeah, I think a lot of the time we get being a leader confused with being the boss. And mm, they can't, they, yeah. they, you know, they certainly cross over, but they're not the same thing. And we would see this play out with the scouts over and over again, where, you know, a young man would get elected patrol leader. So now he's, you know, in charge of six or seven other kids. And he would interpret that to mean, I'm going to sit here and order you guys around and you're going to do what I say. And of course, they would, they would cheerfully ignore him and he'd come back to us in tears and, you know, and he'd have his first good lesson about leadership. But, yeah. you know, beyond the scouts, I mean, I can think back, I, I moved to Baltimore from my hometown of Philadelphia when I was 28 years old to be program director of a radio station. And probably a total of about 10 people full-time and part-time reporting to me. And I think every one of them was older and in some cases by, you know, a couple of decades. And that was a situation where I was not, you know, authentic and honest about my lack of experience at all. And I tried to be the boss and it, you know, it didn't, it didn't go so well. So, you know, it, part of these things, you know, I think we learn with, with age and experience, but you know, I'm I'm a big believer in in being as as honest and transparent as possible with people over you know over where you are as a leader. It's mm, a good word. You know, some of the listeners may be thinking, okay, so so taking over a volunteer position, I mean, that really didn't sound like that big of a deal. But yeah. <laughs> this was really important in your life. What made it that way? Why 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 should people lean toward this story? 
It, it is. When I, when I tell the story, I say, so, you know, you're, the Scoutmaster doesn't exactly, you know, carry the nuclear football. It may not <laughs> seem like a, a that big a deal, but, you know, it's a pretty demanding volunteer job in the best of times. And these this was anything but the best of times. I mean, the troop at that point was about 25 young men and suddenly reduced by three plus their very much beloved Scoutmaster. And yeah. none of us had ever lived through anything like this. Just the, the, the shock and the grief and all of that. And and so, you know. The question as a group was, you know, would the troops survive? You know, would the other parents just not want their young men around those memories? Mm. And who, who could blame them, right? Yeah. And I think part two of what sort of made everything work, maybe part three. So other people stepped up and helped. You know, I was transparent with parents and scouts about my own lack of experience. But, you know, the the third piece of that, I guess, is that as a group, we did not hide from what happened. We mm. we we made it a regular practice in our meetings as, you know, the, the case wound its way through the courts, as there was news, you know, to to talk about it and to to, you know, check in on each other and, and to be there for each other and see how everybody was doing. You know, so we we circled up and handled it as a group. And I think that's a, a large part of what got us through it. Yeah, in the book, you you talk about a series of talks that you had communicating with the troop, and then you translate those lessons for adult leaders. Well, what do you think made those communications effective? Yeah, you're talking about the Scoutmaster Minute, and that's a part of the Scoutmaster program, uh, the scouting program. Not not every troop does it, but when when I took over as Scoutmaster, I thought, well, I I don't know five ways to light a fire without matches or all these other things. But <laughs> the the Scoutmaster Minute, the delivering a brief homily to a captive audience at the end of each meeting, that's something I, I could probably do. So I, I worked pretty hard on those and gave, gave them a lot of thought. And then as I went, I would I never wrote them down beforehand. But the next day, the day after the meeting, I would sort of type up approximately what I had said just to keep mm. an archive. And, and then, as you note, I kept an ar- kept that archive and then used those throughout the book. And mm-hmm. you put it exactly right. I try to take the lesson, whatever it was that we were trying to impart to the scouts and then translate it into something meaningful for you and me and, you know, people trying to be better leaders and better human beings. And, you know, it was very gratifying to me that over those, those five years, a number of our scouts, you know, upon reaching their Eagle Scout rank, uh, and we had quite a few, uh, they would at the ceremony, you know, reminisce about their scouting careers and tell stories and that kind of thing. And and a number of them mentioned those Scoutmaster Minutes as a source of inspiration. Mm. And that, that was very meaningful to me because, you know, the scouting program in general, I think, is, is so important because that is a stretch of life. You know, the scouts are 11 to 17 years old, you know, when they need more positive voices in their ear. And, yeah. you know, because there, there's so much other stuff competing with it, especially these days with, you know, everything that's online. So to to be one of those positive voices and to, and to feel like you were getting through and making an impact was, was very meaningful. You know, there's so much advice out there about getting out of your comfort zone, which is what you had to do. What do you think is missing from all of that advice? You know, I, I think... What's missing from that advice is that you don't have to live outside your comfort zone, right? I'm, mm. you know, th- this book is about two huge trips out of my comfort zone. And honestly, yeah. 
you know, writing a book and putting this, you know, fairly personal little memoir out there and and having conversations like this or, you know, take me out of my comfort zone <laughs> again. But, you know, having said all that, I'm the biggest homebody creature of routine you will ever find. <laughs> I, I mean, it's it's not like I'm out, you know, paragliding and bungee jumping every day. I, I just, you know, but we can't, we have to challenge ourselves from time to time. I, I, I love the quote and, you know, from the wise old preacher, supposedly, who said, you know, God loves you just the way you are, yeah. and he loves you too much to let you stay that way. Yeah. You know, if we're not challenging ourselves and doing the things that make us uncomfortable, then we're we're treading water and not going anywhere. And that that's not good. You've got a section in the book that is a somewhat different angle looking at organizational culture. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that. It grows out of a couple of stories I, I tell in the book, but basically situations where just a few words spoken either from me to, oh, I'll tell one real quickly. I was um, setting up chairs before a meeting with one of our scouts who was then a junior in high school. And I, I knew that. So just mm -hmm. chit chat, small talk. I asked him what he was thinking about as far as college majors. And we talked a little bit about that. And I forgot the conversation had happened because mm -hmm. it, it was just that it was, you know, small sure. talk. Uh, about a year and a half later, when he reached the rank of Eagle Scout, he sent me a a very nice handwritten note thanking me. And um, in that note, he referenced that conversation and mm. said that that was the first time in his life that anybody had ever asked him what he wanted to do with his life. Now, that's wow. 15 or 15 or 16 years old at that point. And that was so eye opening to me that what I thought was, you know, a throwaway question, right? Six words. What, what do you like to do is what I asked him. Uh, you know, had a much deeper impact than I intended. Now, in this case, that was a good thing, but it's just as easy, you know, in, in leadership roles for that to be not a good thing, you know, where what you think is a, a joke, a throwaway comment, whatever might be taken the wrong way. And I think there's a special danger of that these days as we have all these ways to communicate and most of them involve typing and not talking. So, you know, if I'm a managing a team, and I'm communicating something halfway important via email or Slack or text or something, I sure want to be in the habit of following up in person to make sure not only that it was received and understood, but that it was interpreted the way that I intended. Because otherwise, you wind up with somebody with their nose out of joint, and you're going to be the last one to know about it. And neither of those are good things. So yes, it is. It's a little bit of a different take on leadership in the book in the sense of, you know, really reconsidering the the language that we use and and the way we use it around people because it's easy especially when they're looking to us for leadership when we're in that you know the scoutmaster position the boss position whatever it is yeah. you know for it to be interpreted in ways we didn't intend hmm. you know i've heard andy stanley say more than once that as leaders our words weigh ten thousand pounds we don't uh Truth. we don't that's we're really not, well put. we're not aware yeah. of that often yeah but yep. when we speak and we like, and even in a light conversation, like what you're describing, those are heavy words. Right. And, and it sounds like not a big thing. And and in the book I uh, referenced, there's a, a Tom Peters quote in there from one of his books that says, and, and I won't get it word for word, but basically says, 
organizational culture is shaped by the way the boss greets the receptionist as she walks in the door by mm. the casual by the mm. casual comments the boss makes to the three or four people she passes on the way to her office by the tone of the emails she sends responding to stuff in the first 15 minutes of the day and it is it's all that you know we spend so much time and money and effort chasing this you know organizational culture employee engagement and all that but we maybe not enough time you know, considering the the words we use and the smaller things like that, because they're big contributors to culture. Do you have any advice that you would give to new leaders or entrepreneurs or, or somebody who's in an unexpected leadership role? Yes, and and maybe slightly different for new leaders and entrepreneurs. The new leaders, I think we already talked about, is mm. don't be afraid to re- really for yeah. both. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Mm, you know, good. you you don't need yeah. to go it alone. And and I am, I, you know, I am the guy who will walk around the store for 45 minutes before I ask somebody where to find something, right? I, I So it goes very much against my nature to ask for help, ask my wife. But, but you know, you need to. And, and my one regret from the, the years that I spent employed was not spending enough time just reaching out and developing more of a network, mm. you know, not with any, you know, and, and I think we get this head trash around that kind of thing where, if we are going to reach out to somebody and say, hey, how about we meet and have coffee and talk, that it's got to be a transactional thing, that somebody's yeah. got to benefit from it or some business has to be done. And it doesn't. Yeah. You know, it's simply a, you know, let's get to know each other. And, you know, that's the same head trash we have around networking events, which comes up so often in the business peer group meetings that I that I run and, and participate in, you know, where people hate networking events because they feel this pressure. Like, if I don't get three good leads, you know, <laughs> you know, why, why am I here? And it's really not because it's yeah. just getting to know people and the getting to know people will lead to other things. If that person isn't a good prospect for you or vice versa, that maybe they know somebody who is. And if not, you've made another friend. And and those connections play out like a spider web. So I, I wish I'd really fully understood that, you know, 10 years plus ago before, you know, I had to start doing that stuff as an entrepreneur. So new entrepreneur, you know, reach out, have coffee with people, whether you think they can help you or not, you know, and especially if they can. And, and people are so willing to offer their advice and their help. I mean, I had a... I, I, a guy who was really no more of an than an acquaintance really at that point and when I was starting my own thing and I reached out to him and we sat down and he runs an ad agency so I, you know technically we would compete a little bit I guess but he gave me the name of his banker and another professional and he gave me copies of his agreements that he used with clients to modify and, and use as my own and was so generous and mm. and people are out there entrepreneurs really want to see other entrepreneurs succeed. Yeah. And and they are there to help in the in the vast majority of cases. I've run across a couple of exceptions, but they they are the exceptions and not the rule. You know, I hope that everybody listening is is listening hard to what you just said, Jim, because I think that generosity of spirit and leaning into networking connections long before you ever need them, not thinking about what's in it for me, but simply making a new connection and having open hands, that is that is gold. And like you, I, I wish that's something I had learned 15, 20 years ago, because I yeah. think that would have put me in a different place today. And and when that does come up in these peer group meetings, my advice to people is always because, you know, they're like, oh, I hate those things. I'm terrible at small talk. I'm not, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm like, 
make it not about you. Make yeah. it about the other person. What can you yeah. do to help them? It'll all come back. It won't yeah. come back that night. You're not going to walk away with three new clients, but you know, you'll walk away with three people who think much more highly of you than they did before That's if right. you're trying if you're trying to help them. And and it, right. it all comes back. It it absolutely does. You know, every leader that I talk to is a continual learner and you are most assuredly in that group. Is there a book that has made a significant impact on your life that you would recommend that leaders read? You know, I guess there's a couple of approaches to that. One one is to look at other leaders, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. I think guys like me are big fans of history. And yeah. I, I just I just finished one about Churchill called The Splendid and the Vile, V-I-L-E, mm-hmm. by uh, Eric Larson. Mm-hmm. And it's basically the whole year plus of the Blitz in England, mm-hmm. as told mostly through the diaries of the people who were around Churchill. And it's almost day by day, but you you really get a sense of what a remarkable guy he was in leading the country through that. And obviously anything about Abraham Lincoln, I'm, you know, also a huge fan of that, and, you know, sort of similar circumstances where, you know, there was an existential threat to their their nation at that point, and and they were the ones to to lead through it. And and, and it's a bumpy road in both cases, but they got it done. So, you know, I, I lean towards that kind of thing. Uh, I, I do certainly read the, the business um, self-help books. I think, you know, the Tom Peters in Search of Excellence was great. I think, um, the the e myth revisited the, the, the oh, about about scaling you know how yeah you have to put the systems in place before you can scale a business and grow you know that that kind of thing um, but yeah, yeah I I'm I I read constantly yeah. and some fiction too but sure definitely I know our listeners are going to want to stay connected with you and continue learning from you Jim what is the best way for them to do that. Well, they can learn more about the book, about me, about all that at leaderbyaccident.com. Uh, probably in terms of social media, the you know, there's a Leader by Accident page on Facebook, and uh, they can certainly connect with me on LinkedIn as well. Um, I'm Jim Rafferty, and you know, you'll you'll see my smiling face there. <laughs> Brilliant. I'll make sure to have all those links in the show notes, so folks can Thank easily you so much. connect with you there. Jim, this is this has been a joy. So I'm gonna I'm gonna. Open it up for you now uh, to close us out with a dad joke. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, this one was around Thanksgiving uh, where I, I said to the grocery store clerk, excuse me, did these turkeys get any bigger? And he said, no, sir, they're all dead. hey <laughs> oh, There we go. Thank you. <laughs> well done. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Jim, thank you so much for being on the show. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Thanks for joining me for this episode today. As we wrap up, I have a couple of requests for you. I'd love for you to do two things. First, subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. And if you find value here, I'd love it if you would rate it and review it. That really does make a difference in helping other people to find this podcast. Second, if you don't have a copy of my newest book, Catalytic Leadership, I'd love to put a copy in your hands. If you go to catalyticleadershipbook.com, you can get a copy for free. Just pay the shipping so I can get it to you, and we'll get one right out. My goal is to put this into the hands of as many leaders as possible. This book captures principles that I've learned in 20-plus years of coaching leaders in the entrepreneurial space, in business, government, nonprofits, education, and the local church. 
You can always connect with me on LinkedIn to keep up with what I'm learning and thinking about. And if you're ready to take a next step with a coach who can help you to intentionally grow and thrive as a leader, I'd be honored to help you. Just go to catalyticleadership.net to book a call with me. And stay tuned for our next episode next week. Until then, as always, leaders, choose to be catalytic. Thanks for listening to Catalytic Leadership with Dr. William Attaway. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss the next episode. Want more? Go to catalyticleadership.net.